Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show and the debut of a new format we're tentatively calling Take It or Leave It. The premise is simple here. You send us your soccer hot takes and we decide whether they're hot to trot or if they're not. The rhyme needs a little bit of work there. We'll, uh, we'll get to that one. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man whose calm, measured and logical approach is perfectly suited to giving out hot takes on podcasts. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, sir. I'm here to scream. I'm here to yell. I'm here to berate Graham for things that I don't agree with. I think we're just going to go full uh, like Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp on this one. And I'm excited for that not to be the case. Mm, FS2 behaviors. I like that. Is it FS2? FS1? It's an FS of some sort. Yeah, it's one of them. It's, it's one an FS of, of some sort. <laughs> Joining us for an FS of some sort, we have a man who loves hot takes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I read that wrong. It's a man who loves hot cakes. Graham Rutherford. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I, I do love hot cakes, but I think I prefer hot takes. Taylor, is Skip Bayless, Bayless the guy who sits at like a table opposite another man and they like basically just shout at each other about sports? Yeah. Is that yeah. the format? But it, it's very... Like, I don't think he was always this way, but it, it it is very just clearly like you take one side, I'll take the other and we're going to scream about it, but nothing matters. And I think uh, uh, Daryl was always fond of pointing out that they seemed to always be talking about whether or not LeBron James was the greatest of all time. That feels like the <laughs> easiest one to go to. So like once a week, if that show was on at some point, there would be a conversation about like LeBron versus Michael, who you taking every single week. They had to have that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's one of our questions we're answering today. I, I hope it's not. Well, maybe not about LeBron James of basketball, but we might get a question about the the the, the LeBron James. Wow, that is easy to say of uh, soccer. Christian Pulisic, maybe he'll be in there at some point. <laughs> oh, tease, Graham. I like it. Uh, on that, the, let's come back to Skip Bayless thing once again. Is Shannon Sharp the guy who who wears the really tight suits and looks like he might burst out of them at any given moment? He looks got incredibly good physique. Is it the gentleman I'm thinking of? Yes, it's him and uh, Michael Richards are one and two in that category. Uh... Yes. I see. It looks like if he gets too angry, like the, 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 the bicep will burst through the sleeve of the jacket at any point. He yeah. is a legendary Denver Broncos uh, tight end who mm. also has great facial reactions. If you need a gif, uh, he's your man. He is. And you know who's our man if we want to have our takes judged? It's you, Taylor, and it's you, Graham. And to a small extent, me as well, guys. <laughs> We're going to get into our take it or leave it now. We're going to start off. Uh, by the way, if you want to get in touch with us for these, uh, you can tweet or X us. Are we saying that X us? Your no, I'm still, no, We're I'm saying, still not saying that. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you can message us via that uh, medium, or you can join us on our Discord, our very active Discord, uh, totalsoccershow patreon.com slash totalsoccershow. I should say, excuse me, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow for our bonus content, where you can join our Discord, where we've had many questions, including this one from Morrissey. Is it, is it the Morrissey's in our Discord, Graham? Is it him? Is it that one? Uh, 
Well, uh, sometimes when you introduce Morrissey and allow him a platform to say certain things, you regret that. So let's uh, let's hope it's not the actual Morrissey. Indeed. I hope Johnny Marr's not in there too. Those two don't get along anymore, but we shall see. <laughs> Morrissey in the Discord says, for the, our first hot take of this first episode, someone other than Erling Haaland will win the Premier League Golden Boot. It's a hot take, Taylor. Where do you land on it? I mean, it's it's a hilarious sign of the times that the hot take is like, one player won't win the Golden Boot. And I'm still like, ah, no, that's not true. He's going to win the Golden <laughs> Boot. I think the only way he doesn't is if he's injured, and then maybe it's uh, Julian uh, Alvarez. The only mm. other person I thought could be a contender is maybe Son Heung-min, given where he has been played and how much usage he has already gotten at Tottenham and how good Tottenham have looked. But I just I don't I look at the other players around him right now granted it's very early in the season but I just don't see some of those teams continuing on with the same trajectory and the same goal scoring ability City just aren't going to fall off at the very worst they're going to be top 2 top 3 but most likely they're going to be leading the title challenge leading the way so you're going to get tons of goals maybe he'll get some rest for the Champions League and the like but that's not really Pep style in my mind so I think short of an injury he's going to be there scoring goals on a consistent enough basis that other players will maybe fall away uh, and Holland will have it I would say at a stroll wow so sounds like Taylor's leaving this one Graham what do we think here I think even Alvarez is a good shout for a contender here uh, Mo Salah, maybe, uh, Son Hoi-min. Evan Ferguson, is he the guy? Is he the guy to do it this year? Yeah, so to start with this one, I, I did go through the candidates that could maybe win a golden boot. So Mohamed Salah is maybe the obvious uh, alternative. Son Heung-min, I agree with Taylor, he was on my list. Darwin, Darwin Nunes, I know he's been a little bit inconsistent over the last season, but there have been signs, particularly in that Newcastle win, that maybe he's starting to improve in terms of his conversion rate Marcus Rashford Alexander Isaac Evan Ferguson maybe maybe a bit early for uh for 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 the Irish Erling Haaland Ollie Watkins I mean I'm getting pretty far down the list now not that Ollie Watkins isn't a good player if you look at the odds Erling Haaland is two to seven on to win the golden boot in the Premier League this season and we're like what four games into the season I I can't recall ever seeing those sort of odds for a for a player to finish and, as top scorer and for people who don't know what those odds mean Graham they mean so essentially, Ryan, help me out a bit here. If if you put on uh, like two to seven is a little bit difficult to work out mathematically, but from from your like two pounds, you're getting like what two forty back from that. It's not a it's not yeah. a huge amount of money. It's something around that mark. They're so, giving you back less than you stake. Is the exactly that's what happens when the odds flip to on when I say that yeah. it's seven to two on rather than two to seven. Um, but yes, I think Salah would be the best bet. Everyone said he performed below his uh, usual standards last season, and he still finished with 19 goals in the Premier League. So he is still very productive. He's got two goals and two assists in four games this season. I'm just not convinced that Salah is going to be there for the full season at Liverpool, and he'd probably have to match his best ever scoring season, at least of 32 goals, to get close to Haaland. So, uh, yeah, I think ultimately I am... Leaving this one, Haaland will win the golden boot again, and then he'll just eat it because that much metal is very nutritious for a robot. (laughs) It is indeed. Well, actually, guys, um, if you read uh, Morrissey's question, someone other than Haaland will win the Premier League golden boot. He doesn't specify which year, so I'm going to take it. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Are you, though? (laughs) Nope. 
He's he wins it for the next uh, thousand years. That's how he rules. Yeah, and yeah. Then it'll be well, his to son. Graham's point, every time he wins silverware, he does just sort of like absorb it into his body, and it gets him that much stronger, that much harder to knock off the ball. So as long as they keep winning, I think it's going to be difficult for anybody to truly destruct him. Wow, indeed. All right, let's get to our next hot take. This one, if you thought the last one was hot, listener, get a load of Jonathan Foster's uh, hot take on Twitter. European soccer would be better if there was a closed system Super League. <laughs> I think, uh, Graham, Jonathan Foster is one of Andrea Anelli's aliases, right? Right? <laughs> Must be, or uh, Florentino Perez, uh, his burner account. <laughs> what do we think? This is This is boiling hot. I am... Yeah. Very much wired to say I'm going to leave this one because I can't see the benefits of a closed system Super League for Europe or mm. many other countries or nations yeah, so or continents. I'm going to talk this one through. So I don't think, and I'm going to start off hot here, I don't think there's any doubt that, that there would be more high quality matches if there was a proper European Super League. Not like the weird halfway house Champions League replacement those 12 clubs proposed a couple years ago. If we had the biggest clubs in Europe leave their domestic leagues entirely and join a pan-continental league structure, Closed. you would have... you Closed structure, yeah. You would have a product that is the absolute elite of the sport. So would a, a Super League produce the best pure footballing product? I think the answer is yes. Now, that isn't necessarily Jonathan's question. He says, would, would European soccer be better? And I guess that is open to interpretation of what he means by better. But overall, using my interpretation, I can't agree that it would be better because so many local rivalries would be completely eliminated. You would also get rid of the sparkle that European competition has because that's such a special thing because similar to the World Cup, it doesn't happen every week and you have to earn a place at that level. That's the thing that makes it special. Um, I know football has already gone in this direction, but also it would just be such a symbol of the rampant capitalism that has taken over this sport. It would destroy the mobility within the sport, which I think is really the lifeblood of football. Me as a Sterling Albion fan, I know that it's not really realistic that we'll ever get to the Scottish Premiership. But having that carrot in front of us is kind of the thing that pulls forward our ambition as a club. The, the idea that maybe if things went right, we could be a Ross County or we could be a Hamilton Ackies or something like that. And so you wouldn't really have that with the European Super League. Not for Sterling Albion, we wouldn't be affected in Scotland, but prem, you know, Premier League clubs or whatever wouldn't have that carrot anymore. You wouldn't get stories like Luton Town or FC Heinheim or, or Leicester City, which I know doesn't happen very often, but we would never get that in a, in a closed uh, a close a closed system i don't think the the narrative that drives a super league would be as interesting as the ones we get in domestic leagues either and then after and this is where this is where i was with them um, originally when this came out like two years ago this proposal and i feel like the clubs just didn't recognize this so they, they their proposal is obviously we're the best of the best and anyone can win this league and I, th I guess that would be correct to begin with. But after a while, that Super League would just settle into a natural order. So rather than having every team in that league being able to win that title, you would have, like, Tottenham would essentially become a bottom half team, City would dominate, and then you just kind of, like, shift the problem where these clubs who feel like big dogs in their domestic leagues all of a sudden are finding themselves cut adrift from the elite in the super league because there is that divide as well and that would that would that would happen over time so yeah i've had two years to think about this one even though i think you would get some great great soccer matches i am i'm still leaving it for all the reasons that i've explained 
Yep. I'm, I'm about the same. I tried with all these questions to sort of go with the idea and trace it and see if there are areas where like I find myself agreeing. And so with this one, I think a couple things there, Ryan, I feel like you hit pretty hard on the it's a closed system, which is a thing that I think in later incarnations when the proposals were were mooted for the actual Super League, they had shifted to like, oh, no. Every other year, one team will maybe be allowed to join. And so at least you have a little bit of like freedom of movement, such as it is. Uh, but I don't think we would get that here. And then this question also seems to have the idea that like it would be its own league, where basically Manchester United is no longer in England. Now they're playing in this European Super League the entire year. Whereas I think one of the concerns I had, at least with, with the Super League itself, was that they would be playing these fixtures during the week and then on the weekend they would still be playing in the Premier League or their respective domestic leagues but if you're doing that there's no motivation to do well there I mean like sure if you want to win the Premier League but you're not trying to qualify for Europe uh, you already have this this cash cow that's allowing you to just print money so are you putting your reserve team in in the Premier League and those sort of issues if we're looking at this though as a it's a closed system these clubs just leave their leagues now they're playing in their own thing I would say the positive could be, could be, that you're getting rid of these gigantic institutions and they are also sort of a cautionary tale because I don't think it would be very popular. I think people would follow it initially. I think teams would stop spending money once they were in it because, or at least stop trying to be competitive because the money is just going to come no matter what. You're part of the league. Even if you finish bottom, you can't be relegated. You still get a ton of revenue. Who cares? Um, And I could see scenarios in which leagues benefit because like in England if you lose the top six or the top seven or whatever it is uh, you have new clubs stepping up and there's going to be money there so maybe the pattern just repeats but maybe there's an argument that you then put in a salary cap and you put in spending limitations and it does allow for more parity on the domestic side of things and then you get more teams competing and and more evenly matched games across the course of the season there's a positive there theoretically but that is all working very hard to spin this into a positive when in reality it kind of pay, like cuts through uh the entire like nature of european soccer and club soccer and the spectacle that is meant to be the champions league and how exciting that is because maybe you'll get a big club coming to visit and that's such an exciting moment for teams that aren't usually in europe and to kind of have all that removed it just stands in the face of everything that i i like about the sport so for me with the awareness that we've got some other interesting questions coming up i am still leaving this one all right sounds like we're all leaving that one we do have some more interesting ones very interesting ones coming up some taylor definitely which i will hard agree with uh we'll get to that after the break, back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Take It or Leave It. We've got some hot takes being piped fresh in, Graham. Mm, can you smell them on the windowsill cooling down right now? <laughs> Including this one from Levi in the Discord. MLS is a more enjoyable product than the EPL. Now, Graham, of course I think 
this hot take, uh, I, will, I will take it because the EPL doesn't have Apple coverage. Therefore, intrinsically, it's not as enjoyable uh, as MLS. But uh, where do you land on this one? So you're so you're you're taking this one. Joe is taking this one as well. If he was he was on this uh, <laughs> on this episode, so Levi provided a little bit more context to his hot take in, in the Discord. And basically, his point is uh, or boils down to the the Premier League has the best players, but the English style lacks flow, and there's a big gulf between the best teams and the rest. MLS, of course, has more parity and lower quality players means more mistakes, higher scoring, etc. That was that was the point that was made. I actually think that the theory is kind of solid on this one. So MLS is is less predictable than the Premier League. There's no Manchester City that just sweeps everything, unless that's now into Miami, but that has only been the case for a couple months, rather than uh, whatever it is with Pep's City, like six years or whatever. However, having said that, Personally, I still get enjoyment from watching the best players in the world play against each other. Now, I am aware of the juxtaposition of me yep. um, leaving this question and also leaving the Super League question that we've had before the break, which was essentially, would uh, pitting the best players in the world against each other on a regular basis be good? And I said no to, to that. And now I'm saying yes to the Premier League doing exactly that. I'm aware of that awkward juxtaposition, but... Nonetheless, I think there is, um, just from a personal point of view, there's more richness to some of the rivalries in the Premier League just because they've been around for longer. Um, They feel a bit heavier, and from that you get a sense of importance when you're watching. I'm not saying MLS has none of that, because it does, but the scale is tipped towards the Premier League. And most weekends in the Premier League, it just feels like there is a heavyweight clash that is must-watch TV, and I think maybe Joe feels a little bit differently he is he's uh he's deep into the mls universe but for me it, it, mls doesn't really have that to the same extent maybe if it's LAF, lafc versus Inter miami or el Clasico or something like that that feels like much what must watch tv but the premier league essentially has an el Clasico or not an el Clasico, el trafico excuse me um every weekend and that doesn't just separate it out from mls i think that separates it out from every other league in the world as well yeah, yeah. I think, I think, Graham, when we're talking about the Super League, we're talking about a closed system with no promotion relegation and therefore owners not having to spend a ton of money. Once they're in, they can just sort of coast as much as they want to. That that sounds more like Major League Soccer to me than it does the Premier League if, if, we're, if we're going that route. And, and I think for me, there is much more truth to Levi's question and especially in his explanation – I think the parody is the problem for me. I think there's too much parody. I think there's forced parody almost. And I think that is the thing that hurts Major League Soccer, in my mind at least, is that it makes it really difficult to build and maintain dynasties. You have exceptions to that, certainly, but those are very much the exceptions. Whereas, I've talked about this before, being there when Atlanta won the Cup and knowing that they were actively moving players that same night was just a fascinating moment of like, this team cannot sustain. They're going to have to sell people. They're going to have to try to make things work because you don't have the money there to allow you to sustain that momentum. And I think you need that because so often in MLS, if a if a team that if the Colorado Rapids beat LAFC, Maybe that's a big result, but maybe it's also like, oh, L.A., we're resting a bunch of players because they've got another game coming up this weekend that they need to win. Colorado, it might have just been a fluke. Like you, you never get that feeling fully of like, OK, this could be a turning point. This is a meaningful, huge result the way you would if Luton beat Man City. And, and I think that sort of is where I need there to be more 
like dynasties and, and and more like like la- like a lack of parity just because then I think it yeah. becomes more engaging every single weekend because you have the haves and the have nots battling and, and I think if you make it a little bit closer so that you still get the, the have nots winning uh, MLS Cup along the way then I think it is a very interesting league because anybody can win but you still have big clubs with higher profiles and it does feel like we're starting to get that more frequently Miami is not just the the prime example of that but I think there are other clubs Uh, and then I think having some parity still allows for uh, systems and approaches to win out or clubs to have identities like I would say the union do and it makes for a more interesting league in that way so I think I'm I am leaving this question I'm leaving this premise but I think if there were slightly less parity I think I am yeah. much more inclined to take it I, I strongly agree with that point, too, and I've, I've agreed with that point for a long while. As you say, I think it is getting better now, where, like, Philadelphia Union have been good for three or four seasons now. LAFC, I know they're struggling a little bit right now, but generally are still strong. Maybe Inter-Miami are going to be that team. But that's the sort of thing that helps you draw casual fans, right? Where if someone is looking through, in the UK, the Sky Sports schedule, and they see Man City versus Liverpool, you don't really need to be that tuned into what's happening in in the league at any given moment to know that's a big game and I think MLS lacks that a little bit so um, it is getting better like 10 years ago it was horrendous where like Toronto FC would win MLS Cup and then the next season finish bottom of the Eastern Conference and things like that would happen very very regularly and that just wouldn't happen in the Premier League but yeah Premier League is still the more enjoyable product for me at this point I'm not saying that will continue forever but in 2023 yeah I'm leaving this one I just I look at a league like the NFL and there are plenty of reasons to not like the NFL and not want to watch American football. But that is one where you still have a salary cap of sorts, uh, slightly higher than MLS's salary budget, just slightly. But you then do have teams that can be dynasties because they have the right coach in place or the right front office or they make like consistent, consistently correct decisions or they have a philosophy in how they want to play or how they want to organize the team. And, and I think so you can still get teams that are bad but you can also get teams that are very good for a good long while so that you have this feeling of when the patriots fall off it sort of is like wow the king is dead who's the next king and 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 i think if that is a couple seasons or a decade of a team being dominant it allows you to have natural villains natural teams to root against and then you can like upstart teams and you can get into this to franchise that has never had much success and they're now they're signing a, a, an elite quarterback and what's going to be the day oh it didn't work out so well like you can get those narratives that i think become that much more engaging so i'm not saying mls should fully copy the nfl model though i think that is probably what they are targeting in the very long term are, are the patriots bad now i don't really follow nfl that much is, is that is that a thing that has happened i saw temp tom brady was like at the top of a fake lighthouse ringing a bell the other day <laughs> that was weird someone explained that to me uh, I wouldn't say they're bad, but they're certainly not the Patriots that they used to be. Uh, their quarterback is not Tom Brady, and that's going to be the case for probably another 50 years, that any time a quarterback overthrows somebody in New England, it will be met with Tom wouldn't have overthrown him. Yeah, mm, yeah it'll be met with Tom Brady ringing a bell from yes, a lighthouse yes, yes, above yeah. them. To be fair, it will be Tom Brady saying Tom wouldn't have overthrown that if, if, if his <laughs> $100 million commentator deal uh, ends up happening. Also, yes, Graham, the Revs have a fake lighthouse at their stadium, which... Uh, Cool. Yeah. Is there any water nearby? <laughs> I mean, 
just car park. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a lighthouse over a giant car park. There's ocean you, so you can find your car after the game. Exactly. You can head up the lighthouse. Time. You guys want to spend some time talking about the revs now? Is that what we're going to do? That, that, that's just a fun, light topic that won't get anyone into trouble at all. Let's Yikes. make that happen. Hey, on a hot take show of all, of all shows, I think my, my issue with the premise of this question, though, is that enjoyable or enjoyment in soccer mm-hmm. is subjective, isn't yep. it? Um, I support a team in the fourth division of English soccer who are ostensibly not very good at soccer, if you look at the, you know, comparatively to top leagues, but I'm invested in it and I care. I've got a, a team in, in MLS that I support, uh, and I'm invested in that, even though not maybe the best team in MLS either. So it's, it's difficult. I totally agree with Graham that I, I don't have a dog in the fight in the Premier League, but I watch it every week because I enjoy watching the very yeah. best soccer players doing the soccers. Uh, so I, I'm, I have to be a little bit on the fence with this, with this question because it's, we're, we're it's all arbitrary who we support, right? It, the, the fact yeah, that I support a team is, is arbitrary. The fact that you support is, is pretty arbitrary if you take a step back from it. So what you enjoy is where you're, a small decision you made years ago. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Where you your parents decided to buy property uh, right. determines things. <laughs> uh, I may get myself into a bit of hot water here, but I would just say, like, I, I one thing that I, I do, like, if we're going hot takey here, this is like a take that I do sort of believe in, is the idea that, like, if you want to talk about MLS being like, yeah, but in the Premier League, Luton aren't going to win. Like, and in Major League Soccer, anybody can win in every given season because you have the same limitations. To that, I say, like, a USL championship team can't next year. Like, there is that idea. Like, you all can talk about parity. You can talk about how great it is that everybody can win. It is still a closed league. And so at the same time, there's a bit of... Like, uh, I think selective understanding in that way, or basically you're seeing it one way. And it's true that that does allow for more teams to be eligible or likely to win than you were going to get in the Premier League, where maybe it's two or three teams. But at the same time, there is still a closed system there that, that does prohibit other teams from having a go. And I think that is something that does limit enjoyment for a lot of people. All right. Thank you very much, Levi, for that question or that hot take, I should say. Michael DeLazelle has been in touch on Twitter. Here's one for you guys. Brother? That, could be, that could be controversial. Let's go. Here it is. Heading the ball will be completely gone from the sport within the next 10 years. From the whole sport, not just the youth mm. sport, Taylor. The whole sport in 10 mm-hmm. years. Woo, hot. Ouch. Yes, this would be my second reference to the NFL in, uh, in like as many minutes. Uh, I think... I get where this question is coming from, and I think the changes at youth soccer are notable. And honestly, not things that initially I was a big fan of, because I think to me, like, I grew up heading, it's fun to practice headers, it's really fun to score a headed goal. But I understand that it's not just heading itself, it's the situation of the header, where if you're going up for a header off of a a goal kick or a punt or whatever, and you're an 11-year-old and you're going up against another 11-year-old, they don't really know fully how to control their bodies. They might not know the proper technique. And so you can get a lot of injuries that way of a forearm to the head, a head to the head. So I, I really like the changes at youth level. But I'm also a person who was certain that uh, the NFL would be falling apart in 10 years, 10 years ago. Uh, and that is not where we are. And I thought a lot of that would be because of the head injuries and how bad of a look it is. And it And it does feel to me like the NFL has – essentially not they haven't fixed it don't get me wrong i think it's it is i still kind of have the idea that it will be akin to boxing more popular than boxing but in a 
you know what you're getting into, you know what you're signing up for, and you're and you are signing up for potentially a lot of danger for the risk reward of being famous and making a ton of money. And I and I think that's where soccer will go. I think we'll continue to get changes uh, with concussion protocol and how seriously that's taken. I think it needs to be more serious, and I think that there should be more leniency when you're making changes when a substitution, uh, when a concussion is is suspected. I think what they've made it so that you can in some leagues have one. Uh, swap, but I think it should be like if a person is is failing that protocol or failing the test or whatever it is, and you're giving them time to take it. Maybe even it's like a temporary substitution, so you're not playing shorthanded, so you have more time to make sure that the player is good to go, and then you can swap them back out. I think we'll see changes like that to the rules. I think we might even see at some point like mandatory headwear or head protection uh, for every player, though I think that could be harder to enforce, but I don't think they will get rid of it entirely because that is just such a sweeping change that would invite such backlash it's tough to really get fifa to to change when they want to do something so if infantino said we're getting rid of it that's how it's going to be if you don't do it you're not fifa compliant i think nations would have to kind of wrestle with that but i don't think that's going to happen because it would be such a fundamental change so i think there will be ways to like mitigate and make it look better. And I think also fingers pointed at like, Hey, we're not the NFL. The NFL is so much worse in this regard. Rugby so much worse in this regard. So we're doing great by comparison. I think that will probably be the way things go. So I am taking this one with a caveat. So I think 10 years is a short time frame for this, for it to be completely gone within the next 10 years. I struggle to envisage that. But I think within the next 10 years, the phasing out of heading the ball will have started with a time frame to eliminate it completely. So I don't think it will have been completed within 10 years, but I think IFAB will have said something like, by 2037, heading will be outlawed in the laws of the game. And this this would be, there will be backlash, and this would be the single biggest change to the laws of the game for about, like, 100 years? It would be absolutely massive, and it would completely change certain phases of games, like, what the corner kicks look like without heading is it just an opportunity to maintain possession is it an uh, is it still seen as an attacking opportunity as it is now so i'm not denying that there, there would be sweeping change to changes to soccer on the back of, of of this change but there is a real growing movement behind the data that proves heading the ball in football is very very dangerous and i'm reading from a, a guardian report here um, so forgive me for quoting a section here, but a, a report co-funded by the FA and the, the PFA and conducted by the University of Glasgow in 2019 found that former professionals were three and a half times as likely as a member of the public to die from brain, di- brain disease, five times more likely to die of Alzheimer's and four times more likely to die of, die of motor neuron disease. And in Scotland, we've seen, we have uh, not to be um, too exceptionalist here but we have, we have kind of been leading the, the charge on this we've already banned um heading for children under the age of 12 which i think taylor you're mentioning maybe that's happened in the u.s as well something thir- i think under 13 in the u.s yeah, so right, in your sure. scotland yeah so that that yeah. is that is pretty common across the board i don't think there's another professional league though that restricts um heading in training on the day before a game and the, the day after a game. I think the Scottish Premiership is the only league that has done that. And I was listening to... I, I was similar to Taylor in that I was very much of the opinion, you know, this is the way we've always done it, heading such an important part of soccer. I also enjoy, like, watching a good-headed goal. Like, that is a thing in soccer that I enjoy. But then there was the professor that led the report um, from University of Glasgow on a radio show that I was listening to pretty recently, like a month ago, 
and the way that he was talking about it's not the it's not the, the even the, the heading that's taking part in game in place in games that's the the issue it's the repetition that happens in training that apparently is is the problem that's the thing that does the damage and it was put to him so what if players wore scrum caps wore the petter check caps he was saying it wouldn't make a difference because it's actually it's not the ball hitting the head it's the brain hitting the inside of the skull that apparently causes the damage, and so you put a scrum cap on. That doesn't that doesn't yeah. really change anything. The brain is still there is movement between the brain and your skull, um, and so it would hit off the inside of your skull. So, I, I there is a bit of me that still goes this will never happen, but I do think the scientific data is really starting to mount up. So yes, I'm broadly speaking taking this one. I think heading will be gone at, in football at some point in the not so distant future. Ten years feels like a stretch, but I would probably take it for sure if if uh, if whose question was it michael's question if he'd said uh, 20 years I, I would take that one the thing that will always trip me up with with this question and, and the discussions around it and I'm, I'm curious if either of you have ideas and if you don't that's fine too is just like so then how do you play and and let's talk about like so let's say you do a build out line for goal kicks and the uh, opposition they have to stand behind that line the the team taking the goal kick doesn't this is what's happened in youth soccer and i think that's really useful but when that press comes and a defender is just forced to kick it long. Now they've kicked it long. And are we going with the rule of, like, you can't play it above head height? How do you police? Nope, you, you, you flick that on with your header. It's a free kick going the other way. Like, I, I think it ultimately, it requires other changes to the game. Like, I really do think there has to be a, like, you can't play it above head height rule. And if you do, then it's like an indirect free kick. And that would be, again, such a, a huge change. The only way I can see it really happening is if you have, like, actual experimental leagues almost where it's like okay this league this season is getting rid of heading and here's how they're doing it and then we're sort of observing how that goes and fine-tuning along the way i don't think it can be a sweeping change that's why i think the 10 years thing i agree with you graham also doesn't make sense i just don't know how you get rid of it because short of like height restrictions and and build out lines and a lot of other things it's always going to be a thing that is possible. Like if there's a ball in the air, you're going to want to flick it on. You're going to want to win it. You're not going to want to kind of stand there. Everything we're taught as players is go meet the ball, challenge for the ball, win the ball, don't back down. And so if you're sort of standing there waiting for it to get to a point where you can control it with your chest, that feels like it's going to create its own set of problems where someone comes Mm -hmm. barreling into you and fouls you. And now you've got different types of contact. It's just, it's a really confusing one because on the surface, it makes a lot of sense to get rid. But once you do it, presents so many other issues yeah totally agree i think it's an absolutely gigantic change but then i look back at in like the early to uh, the early 2000s the early 1900s when goalkeepers could mm-hmm. run with the ball outside their box and so i guess there was a re-education that needed to happen when they changed the the laws there that the, taylor your 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 point on how you how would you implement it how would you intro- introduce it is fair and that's that's why i can't say like 10 years it'll be completely gone because i think they would roll it out similar to how they rolled out var which is essentially okay we'll try it in this invitational youth tournament in a summer see how it goes and then maybe the next season okay we'll do it in a a dutch youth league or something like in the reserve league we'll do it in that and then they just slowly scale it up until it is adopted in 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 the senior leagues but yeah it'd be a complete it would be a complete recalibration of the sport i mean as a sterling albion fan i'm not being funny the ball is in the air for sterling albion game like 30 percent of the time maybe even more than that so like it's going to completely change different level in premier league level you could maybe argue well maybe the impact wouldn't be that 
fundamental, but the lower leagues, the lower down the leagues you go and the quality gets worse, I think it would be an, a gigantic change. Yeah. If you put out, like, this presents its own set of risks, but if you put up walls, like a la indoor, so you don't have the ball going out of bounds and it rebounds back in, it, it, like, you still get heading in indoor, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's far less common. It's far less... Like, like regularly, do you score a headed goal or go up for headers, maybe on like long throws, but even there, it's more about controlling with your chest. And so I, I wonder maybe if you are limiting some of the like long ball going out of bounds, throw ins, corners, that's goal kicks, that sort of thing. If it is just the ball stays live constantly, again, that presents its own set of problems but i feel like that does cut down somewhat yeah. on the scenarios in which you're that, having to go for a header that's just the size of the playing surface though isn't it Taylor? yeah because it's a much true. smaller field it's wide there's yeah, fewer yeah. aerial balls right yeah that's yeah. probably but it too i think if you change throw-ins to kick-ins which even without the whole heading thing i am in favor of doing that i, I think that's one way of eliminating a source of headers because you think about a throw-in you most of the time maybe not a Premier League level, but certainly at Sterling Albion level, that ball gets hurled down the touchline and then it gets flicked on. Whereas if you do it for a kick-in and you're allowed to maintain possession with just a short pass, then that that goes some way to eliminate it. Corner kicks would be uh, fundamentally different. It would just be an opportunity to retain possession rather than having a a, a chance on goal. Jose Mourinho Mourinho is good with that. He had yeah. that whole criticism about like England is the only country in the world that cheers corner kicks, which I which yeah. I don't think is true. But yeah, I think he would well, like Scotland to get rid of does those. it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's not that's not true. The the country he currently works in cheers corner kicks. I can uh, I can attest to that. Anyway, uh, Mike, I think Michael's question is heading in the right direction with its thinking. Perhaps <laughs> heading the, the time for hey, if the time frame is uh is a little short there. I think to come back to where we originally started the conversation, Taylor, if if uh. If there is a, a world where heading the ball is banned in all of soccer, then I don't think the NFL exists in that world. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, more hot takes. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, It's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Take It or Leave It. We come to Tin Cats on Twitter with our favorite hot take of the episode. <laughs> Uh, that's what people are saying, Taylor. That's why I'm here. Uh, a lot of the bearholder yeah. hate comes from people's inability to accept that this generation of players isn't as good as they were made out to be. Spicy. Yeah. Largely agree with that is where I, I'm going to take it. I think I think I am I am taking this one. I, I think with a few caveats that are not meant to like mitigate the overall point, but. Like, this generation of players isn't as good as they were meant to be, I would say, or as they were made out to be. I would say, like, right now and in, that, and in the last World Cup, yes, I think they will end up being as good as we hope they are. But, but I think, with that in mind, largely agreeing with this, that I think expectations for this group of players were at an all-time high based on where they're playing, how many players are playing abroad, how many players are having some level of success abroad. I think the expectations are as high as they've been because so often in my life as a US fan I think back to like 98 World Cup 2002 World Cup 2006 it's always been a like let's see what happens maybe we can get out of the group maybe we can win a game maybe we'll spring a surprise on England we celebrate a one-to-one draw versus England when your keeper sort of dumps it into his own net as like Clinton MC scoring a goal against England like those moments were always like we made something happen we are coming at this from an underdog and and I think in the course of Burhalter's tenure, there has been a shift towards, no, we're expected to be a dominant team. We're supposed to be doing better. We're supposed to be doing more. We have so much more talent than we've ever had, which is true. But is that talent at a level where it can compete internationally? No. And I think we talked, Goss and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but that starts with DeAndre Edlin being there because no one else in that squad had been at a World Cup. Yes, part of that is is missing 2018, but part of that is also missing other cycles and having that lost generation of players, that sort of period of time when we didn't go to Olympics, when we didn't make youth tournaments, when we didn't do well in those youth tournaments. And I think you can see where there have been areas of deficiency that have come home to roost. And, and, and I think we still then have this expectation of this team as, yes, but they're still supposed to be dominant. They're sp- still supposed to take it to the opposition and make something happen. And I'm guilty of that. I think about the Wales game where I was furious after that game. You all know, because uh, it felt like we should have won that game. Th- that game was there for the winning. And I think Burhalter. If, agree with him or not, had the mindset of we don't want to give anything away. We want to start this tournament with a point. We see other opportunities where we can get out of this group. And that practicality is not appreciated. And I think that is also part of Tim's question that there is a you have to have a practicality to appreciating your national team and understanding that you can't get them to play as a club team. You cannot get them to do certain things. It requires collective buy-in, but then you're constantly bringing in new players to see how well they can do. It requires familiarity. It requires players improving at club level and not having massive downturns in form or massive injuries. And if they do, helping them get back in. And there's just so many minefields to navigate when it comes to a national team that I think on top of that, having this idea that the players are meant to be world-class, all of them are world-class, yeah. we should be winning. We're just not at that level right now. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that that last part, Taylor, where I think there's an impatience that Berhalter probably bears the brunt of. I think there is an element of, we've got this golden generation now, we have a manager who says this is what he wants to do, so why aren't we doing it yet at World Cup? I think I think that is definitely a, a factor. Um, th- there, there maybe in some quarters isn't a realisation that in international soccer, going from having a golden generation coming through to being in a position where you can realistically achieve something with that golden generation... That takes a long time, and international soccer is so drawn out. In club soccer, everything is like a three-year plan. If you're rebuilding a squad, three-year plan. Manchester United are trying. I want to be win the Premier League title again. Three-year plan. Nothing in international soccer, at least when you're coming from the position that the US was, where, as you say, Taylor DeAndre Yedlin is the only player in the 2022 squad that's ever been to a World Cup. It is a complete rebuild of that squad from 2018 coming from that position to then being in a position where you can realistically compete to win a world cup that's not going to take three years no matter who your manager is like no matter yeah. if it's pep guardiola or the greatest international soccer manager of all time rather than berhauter that's going to take more than like three years so there's there's a difference between club soccer and international soccer i i don't think i agree that this generation isn't as good as they were made out to be. I, th- I think it's fair to say that a recalibration was needed for a few players, and that has happened over this summer transfer window. But I look at where they are now. Pulisic is at AC Milan. Yunus Musa is at AC Milan. Timothy Weah is at Juventus. Tyler Adams is okay, not at a bi- uh, necessarily a big club historically, but he's still in the Premier League. So I think the US squad is in a, a, a pretty decent place where the best players are playing for some of the biggest and best clubs in the world but i do i am taking the premise of uh, of tim's question that that berhalter takes a lot of fire from the frustration that comes from how the group as a whole is developing and how long that has taken I, I i hear you on that graham at the same time i would say like if you get i won't name names but if you get a few drinks into a fair percentage of the u.s media pool they will tell you that weston mckinney is not nearly as good as people think he is and you can see that in his game you can see that in these friendlies he has moments of sublime skill of supreme vision and control and passing range he also has moments when he scuffs wide open shots wide multiple times inside of five minutes and some of that is fitness but some of that is that there isn't I, I I struggle to think of a player that is like completely well-rounded. I think it's why Joe loves Gio Reyna is because he is probably the closest thing we have to a player that can do many, many different things very, wow. very well, except one of those things is stay fit, and he can't really do that. But Tyler Adams, who I love and adore, you know, you all know that. Like We at the same time are like, yeah, but he can't really pass forward. Like that, Like that right there is kind of a big deal, and I think there are areas of deficiency with the USMNT, and there are players that I think have, crazy as it is, like changed my mind or at the very least made me think like, okay, no, they've added a new level to their game over the last six months or since the World Cup ended, but there is still deficiency on an individual level in this squad. They are very good. Again, they are the best U.S. team. This pool is the best pool I think we have ever had. Yeah. But at the same time, if you put them up against, I, I don't know, like like a Barcelona team or a Spain team or whomever, like you're going to see the technical drop-off pretty quickly. And it's why the U.S. against the, that opposition will cede possession and will drop off. It's what teams that aren't as good are going to do against stronger teams. You don't see the U.S. going toe-to-toe against France or even England because they can't really do that yet. We saw it in spurts against England, uh, but I think that was part of a larger tactical structure, which Berhalter doesn't get credit for. Uh, but but I think until you have like players who don't 
have, they maybe have a few areas that they're not so good at, but they don't have obvious areas of deficiency, there's still going to be that disparity between the perception of the team and the reality of the team. Do you think that term, Taylor, golden generation, I'm not, I'm not just imagining that people have called this group a golden generation, right? I'm not, I'm not creating a, a straw man argument. Like that has been uttered by people before, hasn't it? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. I also think we've answered that question before. Like golden generations to me are sort of a myth. And if anything, it's a thing that you use to paint an unsuccessful team after the fact. Right. And so often, like people will point to that Spain national team that wins the World Cup, uh, in between winning the Euros twice. And, like, sure, that's a golden generation, but it's also a golden Barcelona generation that, like, like you have to look at where they're coming from at a club level and how much of that team is composed of Barcelona and then the rest is composed of Real Madrid. Like, it's it's so so rarely do you get golden generations that come together and, and achieve. And I think that's why certain teams that do, like, maybe the Brazil 1970 team is an example of that, yeah. of, like, here's this generation, and they made it happen, and they did so comprehensively. But so often it's... The Belgium golden generation, why didn't they do more? Uh, the Portuguese golden generation, why didn't they do more? The England golden generation, why didn't they do more? It feels more of like a a, a, a way to criticize the team after Nabotros. the fact. But, yes. Nabotros. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Ryan. That's but, the word but, I was looking for. But do you think that use of the term golden generation with regards to this U.S. group is used in relation to past U.S. teams, where I think we can all agree this is the best, this is the most talented group of players that the U.S. men's national team has ever had, or is it used in like a global sense? And and maybe if fans are using it in a global sense, I wouldn't agree that this US team, if you look at the broad picture of international soccer as a whole, is a golden generation in the same way that you would say the the, the France have had a golden generation or Spain had a golden generation when they when the when they won the World Cup. This US group is not up to that level, and I don't think they ever will be up to that level. Do you mm-hmm. think maybe there's a disconnect between how some fans are using it and how other fans are using it, and that's where frustration yeah. comes from? I I think maybe I am completely wrong here. So, you know, big old grain of salt. But in my mind, like the last few years have been the first time we were able to track a player coming through the youth ranks, making it into the senior team and then making their debut. I think about like I going back to 2002, for example, uh, I was like a teenager. I was somewhat like, I mean, I was into soccer. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't like trolling the early days of the internet to find who was doing or trolling uh, the early days of the internet to find who was where. But like John O'Brien showing up on that roster and being like, wait, we have a guy who plays for Ajax in the team? Like, what? This is amazing. Like, I, I think people see it as a golden generation because we've paid attention to so many of these players since they were 15 and 16 years old. I don't think that has been as easy or even possible for past generations. And so I think that it also happens to be at a time when you have players playing for the biggest clubs that U.S. players have ever played for, or at least uh, the number of players playing for the biggest clubs is the greatest ever, it becomes a, hey, I've watched this guy since he was 16, and now he's playing for Milan or playing for Chelsea, (laughs) which is, I guess, the same player, or playing, you know, for Barcelona or whomever. Like, I I think it becomes easy to see that as we've tracked all these guys since they were young, and now here they are, the golden generation. But I, I don't really think that the way it gets used when talking about the U.S. is the way that people often talk about other national teams where it seems to be more so not just an incredibly talented group of players who all happen to be like the same age, but it's oftentimes an incredibly talented group of players, seven of whom came through this academy or eight of whom came through that academy. And I think 
oftentimes the golden generation is representative representative of a larger shift or movement within the domestic soccer of that country. Das Reboot, another kind of example of that in my mind. Whereas with the U.S., it's just it's the most talented pool we've had at this age range that we have seen for quite some time or been aware of for quite some time, if that makes sense. All right, so to go back to Tim's question, a lot of the bear to hate comes from people's inability to accept that this generation of players isn't as good as they were made out to be. Taylor, take it or leave it. I take that. I, I think that, at least in the early days, it's also the situation in which he's hired, the fact that his brother is CEO, and the idea that there's nepotism involved, and who else could have been looked at. But then I think about all the other names that were involved at that time and how many of them who I was like, Greg Vanny could be a good coach. He's been fired. Like there's a bunch of people that I thought could be good coaches, none of whom really retain that level of uh, resonance, I guess. And so I think that is a big reason why a lot of people disliked him initially. If you remove that, I think that, yes, inflated expectations of the player pool is probably the biggest reason why people have a problem with Burhalter. Graham, Tiki, Levy? Yeah, I'll take it. Why not? Excellent stuff. How about uh, a lot of bearholder take comes from people's inability to accept that uh, Gio Reyna's hamstrings aren't as good as they're made out to be? Will we take that one? Leave that <laughs> well, one. they're Joe's hamstrings at this okay. point, so he deserves a lot of the yeah. hate. Excellent stuff. Let's go to Josh Bishop on Twitter, who has given us this hot take. International managers should be of the same nationality as the teams they manage. If players have to be from that country, so should managers. Take it, take it, take it, take it all the way to the bank for me. <laughs> I agree hard on this one. For me, Graham, otherwise, what's the point of international soccer? Yeah. It is, in its essence, a jingoistic exercise, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's this patriotic partisan thing. I, I, I just agree with this. And I, I have my problems with that because I'm not so into the borders and boundaries natures of uh, international life like that. And I think it's one of the issues I have with international soccer in general, including the uh, issue I mentioned on yesterday's podcast about uh, underdog statuses in England as mm-hmm. well. But for me... I I just hard agree with this. I think everyone on a particular na- international team should be of that nationality or to qualify for that nation, I should say. Yeah, so I'm also taking this one. Taylor was shaking his head throughout your uh, your, your monologue there, Ryan. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, it was a diatribe. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let him uh, make his case after I've quickly made my case to agree. I, I'm absolutely not the sort of person who demands when Scotland need a new manager that every ca- candidate should be Scottish. In fact, I am frequently the person saying we sh- we shouldn't limit ourselves. Why would we reduce our pool when we don't need to? But if I could impose the same rule for every country, like it was a FIFA-imposed thing rather than a Federation-imposed thing, then yes, I am taking this one and applying the same eligibility rules for managers that are in place for players. And I think this is what you were getting at, Ryan. If, if you really boil it down, the purpose of international football, in my mind anyway, is for a country to demonstrate what it can produce through a national team can we produce a better national team than this other country and the players are a product of that infrastructure um, and the culture and a country's society and and everything it's a a product of everything so if the manager is an important figure in that which he or she is having them not as a product of the country sort of blurs the whole purpose of international soccer, in my opinion. It's not something that like worries me much or keeps me up at night, and I've just kind of learned to accept it. But if John Bishop has given me the, the possibility with, uh, with his question, then yes, I am taking this one. So England for the English and Scotland for the Scots. Got it. Just wanted to make sure that we, uh, we got that noted. I do think this question, it really yeah. does lend itself to... 
Uh, we've, we've, got, we've had like the best managers in history. I'm cool with that. Like, it's the only good thing we do. Well, I think what I mean is that I think so often this question and this conversation lends itself to either xenophobic remarks or accusations of xenophobia, one or the other. So as soon as a U.S. national team manager says we're relying too much on dual nationals, that gets taken as like we shouldn't have so many foreigners in this team. Whereas I think there have been points in history where a coach has said that and what they actually said was we need to develop our own players, which means we need to have better developmental systems. So we're not just looking to Europe to fix our issues. We're fixing them ourselves like you can have those those kind of conversations that then end up getting twisted in the wrong way. And I think you all have both done a good job of outlining the valid reasons for wanting your manager to be from the same country. For me, there, there's there's two things that I think are, are, are why I leave this one, why I disagree. The first would be that fundamentally, like smaller nations, nations that don't have as much money, don't have as much history, need – new influences they need new ways of thinking i mean the usa in 1994 coached by bor militinovich and he has to bring new ideas new identities to the team new ways of playing that allows them to play better than the way the sport was in the country in the 80s and 90s it allows the 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 situation to evolve probably the best example is ghost hitting with south korea but also ghost hitting with russia sometimes uh, fledgling programs or programs that have like reached a certain level but don't seem like they're likely to kick on from that level need innovation, need new ideas. And and I think we see that with smaller nations, but I think it's oftentimes the case with larger countries that when you do have that idea of the country should be a representation of how the league plays or what's the most common in the league or what their identity is as a footballing nation, I agree that that is the prevailing theory, the prevailing narrative. I don't really buy into it. I think you would get a lot of interesting changes if you tried to do something differently. And I think the media and the fan base probably don't allow for that to happen. But the analogy I would go with, rightly or wrongly, is that uh, when it comes to international aviation, everyone has to speak English. And the reason for that is not just because like American airports don't speak other languages. It's because uh, the famous example would be a Korean flight where the crew knew that something was going wrong, but because it is, it is basically not allowed or looked down upon to criticize people in, in authority in Korea, there was a, defer, a deference to the pilot that led to that plane crashing. And you can hear it in the, uh, in the black box recordings that, like, maybe we should be thinking about possibly an analyzing our trajectory in order, like, there, there's, you can have that deference. And sometimes you have to make changes. If you're speaking in English, it cuts through some of those cultural barriers. And I do think that bringing in people from different backgrounds can cut through some of that tradition that can be good at times, but can also hold programs back. And so I think if you're bringing in a person who has an understanding of the culture, an understanding of the identity, but a way or an idea of how they could improve it or how they could bring things from their culture or their footballing identity to that team, I think it can elevate. And so to me, mm -hmm. I like the idea of getting more uh, different managers involved in different national teams. I think that is a valid point, Taylor, but I would, I would argue that that can still happen without the, the manager being a, a, a foreign manager. So for example, in Scotland... No, it can't. It can. I'm going to give you an example right now. So Scotland right now are in a much better place than we were 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of that is down to the work that Mark Vota did as Scotland uh, FA technical director. He comes in and in typical Scottish fashion, he gets absolute pelters for about five years as he completely changes the youth structure in Scotland. We create these performance schools. Players like Billy Gilmore and Kieran Tierney and a good number of our national team have now come through that performance school. So even though we have Steve Clark, who is uh, a Scot as our manager, 
there are like Dutch fingerprints all over Scotland's improvement in recent years. So I, I do accept that new ideas is a good thing, particularly for smaller nations or nations that need to develop. But that can still happen without the uh, without the manager being a, 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 a foreigner. I, I, ju- I just keep coming back to this idea of like, what is the purpose of international soccer? Like, why why is international soccer different to club soccer? And as I say, it's like it's to essentially and it's stupid when you lay it out like because i am not particularly patriotic i'm totally on the same on what i agree with ryan in terms of like borders and so on but like the idea is our country's better than your country and so if the manager's for him kind of kind of blurs that i'm not against dual nationals being manager just to clarify like if lyndon dykes wants to be scotland manager 10 years from now fully on board with that lyndon dykes from for scotland manager I'm, I'd, I'd vote for that yeah, I'll take Yunus Musa as England manager one day. I'm, I'm totally happy with that. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that as well. And I think Taylor, your argument was very balanced and fair. But I, 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 those those roles could be GMs. They could be technical technical directors to advance those nations should they need it as well. Well, over in in America, we're a post racial melting pot where everyone is accepted and everything is wonderful. Uh-huh, uh-huh, so maybe maybe uh-huh. that's the difference. I, I think yeah, right sure. there is that I, I just feel like everyone should be empowered. And I'm sorry that you uh, old world uh, hypocrites don't agree. Ah! excellent stuff from josh a nice divisive take it or leave it there one more from it says joe lowry do we know that guy is he a Mm, i think he used to be part of this podcast okay Uh, last week he was like a long time ago yeah Yeah. yeah. joe uh, we miss you joe's on vacation uh he'll be back uh soon Uh, he has uh, got in touch on twitter with this hot take collared kits are the best kits take it end of discussion Oh, Joe <laughs> stepping in with the the kit related hot take. I love it. I love this from uh, Joe Lowry. I think he's right. I'm taking this one as well. So as a player, I think a collar could be really, really irritating. But I am not a player. I just want something that looks cool with jeans or shorts or whatever. Or when I'm wear, when I'm playing fives, and I think of my two favorite shirts. Well, not not so much with jeans. I have to say. <laughs> I did wear a Scotland shirt. No, I was wearing shorts, actually, to go to the Scotland game the other, other night. Um, but I think of my two favourite shirts that I own, and both of them have big, floppy 1990s collars. It's one so of them, the Cantona I'm, one, Graham, because you can flick what, it up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the Cantona one, and I put it on the Patreon, the, the Barcelona mid-90s uh, one as well. And they both have collars. So I'm taking it. Okay, I'm going to leave it, because my favourite kind of shirt is just the round, regular T-shirt shirt. I get, I like collars, but... Uh, I'm going to extend the uh, comment to say that V-necks are the worst because I can't pull off a V-neck. Can't do it. Because you've, you've not got any chest hair. Correct. Is that the reason? Well, yeah, or, or, or pectoral <laughs> muscles. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> Ryan, my note was, but I think we can all agree that V-necks are the worst. So Yay! I'm glad that you and I are on the same page, if nothing else. But yes, <laughs> I, I, am, I am taking it. I am a collared, collared kits all the way. I will send you my notes because it literally says Phoenix are the worst <laughs> on my piece of paper here as well. Wonderfully done. And I do there have chest go. hair and I hate them for that reason because it's like, that's not good. Like, what am I, like a 70s Lothario? Which yeah. I guess a giant floppy <laughs> collar probably also lend itself towards. So it's really six and one half of the dozen of the other. If you're Tom Jones, you've got the deep V and the collar. Uh, so you're enjoying the best of both worlds. It's not unusual, Ryan. It's not unusual to have the deep oh, V and the collar. Cinepa ordinaire, mon frere. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up. An excellent debut for Hot Takes. Take it or leave it. Taylor, did you enjoy that experience? I really did. I, I very much did. And now I enjoy not looking at Twitter for the next like 48 hours or so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we shall, Graham, be looking at our Discord at patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, where the folks can send us more of these lovely hot takes, can they not? Yep, and just um, a quick thanks to everyone who who sent in their suggestions for this episode. I wasn't sure um, whether it would be too popular or not, but we had like 
I think about 120, 130 oh. different suggestions for oh, hot yeah. takes. So maybe, yeah. maybe we'll save some of them Dude. for a future episode. And as always, it is tradition whenever we ask for questions or things like this on Twitter, I immediately forget that we've done that. And so I kept looking at Twitter and be like, why is everyone yelling angry takes at us? <laughs> like, what did we say that made this happen? Oh, right, 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 right. It took me yeah. a minute to remember. There we go. We'll keep those uh, yelling, angry takes coming at us, guys. Thank you very much for that. Let us know what you think about this episode, too. Uh, any feedback is welcome, especially positive. If it's negative, you know, keep it to yourself. Uh, but thank you very much, Lisa, for joining us. All. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! You got a slice of